Today's episode is brought to you by Canva. Uh, We're all looking for ways to make an impact at work, but not all of us are skilled in visual design. A Canva helps you get your point across uh, simply and beautifully. It's easy to design Canva presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos. You start with a designer-made template and customize it with your content. Uh, plus, add graphics, charts, and more from Canva's massive media library. Whatever department you work in, Canva is perfect for any task. Sales decks, hiring docs, marketing brainstorms, employee videos, you name it. Anyone at work can design with Canva. Start designing today at canva.com. Designed for work. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. 10 more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. This episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hears from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to BrainStuff, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, BrainStuff, Lauren Vogelbaum here. There are about 18,000 species of birds in the world. Of those, emus, the long-limbed, long-necked Australian natives, are the world's second largest by height. Here's the skinny on these gangly avians. Emus are ratites, uh, meaning they're large, flightless birds with a solid, flat sternum. They're related to other ratites found in southern hemispheric locations, the ostrich in Africa, which takes the title of the largest bird in the world, the rhea in South America, the cassowary in Australia, and the kiwi in New Zealand. Emus and ostriches have the most obvious similarities with their long legs and necks. They're also both very fast runners. Emus can run up to about 30 miles or 50 kilometers per hour. 
But there are some differences. Their toes, for example. Emus have three toes. The ostrich is the only bird with just two toes. Another major difference is their wings. Ostriches have beautiful long wings that aren't always visible because they're covering their bodies. Before the article this episode is based on, How Stuff Works spoke with Eric Slovak, assistant curator of birds for Smithsonian's National Zoo in Washington, D.C. He explained, Ostriches use them when they're doing a courtship dance or when they're running really fast. They can use their wings like a boat's rudder to change direction quickly. And those wings are a necessity living around African predators because they need to be able to change direction on a dime with something like a lion chasing it. Conversely, emu wings are very small, probably just two to four inches, that's five to 10 centimeters long. Predators are less of an issue for emus. Their main predators, dingoes, are easily outrun by most emus except juveniles. Emu height averages about 5.7 feet or 1.8 meters. Males can weigh anywhere from 110 to 120 pounds, that's about 50 to 55 kilos, and females typically weigh about 10 pounds or 4 kilos more than that. Their feathers are grayish-brown but lighten during the season. Chicks have natural camouflage. Their feathers are striped in black, brown, and cream to blend into tall grass and foliage. During breeding season, which is during the Australian winter months, uh, June, July, and August, both male and female emus make loud, low grunting sounds. Once the male and female mate and the female lays her eggs in their nest, a low indentation on the ground lined with leaves, grass, and bark, the male takes over completely. Slovak said, males sit on the eggs and do all the incubation. When the eggs hatch, they are the sole parent. As a dad myself, I love that about emus. The incubation period is 56 days, and Papa Emu doesn't eat, drink, or even poop while he sits on the nest. His entire focus is on protecting the eggs. When the chicks hatch, he's well ready to chow down, and he shows his chicks where to get their food and water. Chicks are ready to start eating, drinking, and adventuring about 24 to 48 hours after they're born, but they usually hang out with their dad for about four months before striking out on their own. Emus are only found in the wild in Australia, though at some point they may have lived in Tasmania or King Island. They are wanderers. Flocks are called mobs, and they roam everywhere from eucalyptus forests to desert shrubland to sandy plains. Thanks to their ranging tendencies, relations between emus and farmers haven't always been cordial. In fact, in 1932, the Australian government launched the Emu War against the entire species, an attempt to control the population by killing them with grenades and machine guns. The failed war ended with only 12 emus killed. The government installed a 1,000-kilometer fence, that's about 1,600 miles, to separate the emus from the grain-producing areas in southwest Australia. In the wild, emus are omnivores, eating all sorts of plants in season. They'll also eat insects and small vertebrates, like lizards. They eat large pebbles called gastroliths to help their gizzard grind their food. But can emus be eaten? The short answer is yes. Emu meat has been a popular food source in India and Australia for thousands of years. In many places, emus are farmed not only for meat, but for oil, leather, and feathers. And the massive egg of the emu is a dark emerald green in shell color, weighs a little over a pound or about half a kilo, and is the equivalent of some 10 chicken eggs. If you've ever wondered whether emus would make a good pet, the answer is it depends on the person and the emu. 
While attacks on humans are rare and fatalities even less common, these are quite sizable birds, fully capable of eviscerating even large animals with their big three-clawed feet. While they're friendly and inquisitive, emus should definitely be treated with respect and caution. They need plenty of room to roam and graze, sturdy fencing at least five feet or 1.5 meters high, uh, commercial rat-type pellets, proper housing in the winter that is warm and covered, and proper veterinary care, including at least an annual checkup and vaccinations for things like West Nile virus. Beyond that, Slovak said, all birds have their unique personalities, just like humans do. I can put emu in a box and say, this is all the things about emus, but there are definitely personality traits that come into play. There's no better example of this than Darwin, an emu that lived at Smithsonian's National Zoo. Sadly, Darwin fell ill and had to be humanely euthanized in 2018, but he lived a long and very happy life while at the National Zoo, according to Slovak. He said, Darwin was not food motivated. He didn't care if you had a treat or not. He just wanted to be your buddy. Darwin loved people. When you came to the exhibit, he was curious and wanted to know what you were doing. If you were mowing the lawn, cleaning the pool, or changing the straw, he wanted to be with you. Today's episode is based on the article, Goofy-Looking Emus Are Luggy, Flightless, and Very Friendly, on HowStuffWorks.com, written by Patty Rasmussen. BrainStuff is a production of iHeartRadio in partnership with HowStuffWorks.com and is produced by Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.